Hello and welcome to the Hay Festival podcast, bringing you conversations with the world's greatest writers and thinkers every Friday. This time next month, we will be in the full swing of a live festival at Hay Festival 2022 in Hay on Wye, which is set within the beautiful Brecon Beacons. There are around 500 events that you can choose from. Some will be going out online, so do take a look at hayfestival.org and see if there is anything that takes your fancy. Today's podcast is Malala Yousafzai, who is an activist, writer and Nobel Peace Prize winner. A few months into the COVID pandemic at Hay Festival Coretta Row 2020, Malala spoke to Lydia Cacho about her hopes and dreams for the future of education and the rights of girls. We open this episode today with a clip from an event at Winter Weekend 2018 from Malala's father, Zayadeen Yousafzai. I should say that parenthood is uh, a constant uh, struggle and effort. Yes. And every day we try to be a good father and mother. Uh, but at that time when Malala was born, uh, and I remember that uh, she was my second child, first born was still child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was a girl child, and I was really, really so happy when I saw her for the first time. Uh, it was 1997, and when she was born, it was dawn, very morning time. And when I went beside uh, the bed of my wife, and I saw her, uh, her eyes were open, shining, very shining. And uh, that was the moment that my heart and soul filled with joy. <laughs> and I th- thought I'm the most blessed person on earth. Uh, and she didn't look like a newborn baby. I thought she has been a week <laughs> there. Uh, so that was her birth. And then, uh, uh, you know, I named her after the Malala of Maywand. Yeah. Malala of Maywand was an Afghan legendary Pashtun heroine who raised her voice in the Second Anglo-Afghan War while the Pashtun arm, uh, uh, soldiers and fighters uh, uh, they were fleeing from the battlefield and she went to a maud and she raised her voice that, oh, young Lao, if you don't fall on this battlefield of Maywan, then somebody is saving you as a symbol of shame. And that was such a powerful voice that the fighters came back and they won the war and she took the flag. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a very powerful name in yes. Pashtun history. That's why I named her after Malala of Maywan. And few weeks after my cousin came, and he brought this family tree. And uh, uh, it was very coincidental that at that time he met this family tree. And when I looked at the family tree, they were all men. Uh, so what, the women hadn't been included? No, no, no entry of any girl or of any woman. And when I just saw this family tree of, of uh, three, four uh, generations, fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, I took up my pen and I wrote Malala. And he has a g- g- grimace on his face, uh, like he was thinking, a crazy man he is. A girl name in a family tree, but I meant it. I just smiled. Um, so these were the beginning things, small things you can say that uh, I, I was very serious uh, about the equality of my sons and daughter. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, this is so much important to tell you, for me, the route are the, uh, the, 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 the only road to that destination was education. Uh, that's why uh, education for us was not a normal thing as it is in the UK or in America. It was an extraordinary 
a rare gem yeah. uh, that, that we pinned all our expectations. Like I knew that if I want my daughter to have, to be herself, to be independent, to be emancipated, to be free. And if I want her to be different from my sisters, she must be educated. It's amazing. She must be educated. <clears throat> and that is the thing that you just see your promised land. You see your promised land that that, that land could be unlocked by education. The key is education. And after a few years, like when Malala was in year uh, three or four, class three or four, like in 2005, six, mm -hmm. some bad guys come who are called Taliban. And like, we are so keen and so excited to unlock those doors for girls. And they come and they just block it. They lock it. That is the point, then you stand. What did you do? Then we raised our Then we, we, we had to speak. Mm -hmm. And that was the point that uh, I, from a normal teacher, an educator, I turned into a fighter for education. So those were the special circumstances uh, that transformed me uh, from a teacher uh, who enjoyed teaching so much. I remember that uh, one of the things that I miss in my life here is being a teacher in the SWAT. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, I started my school from just three kids. And when Malala was attacked, we had 1,100 uh, students. Wow. Yes, 500 girls and 600 boys. And I remember that every morning when... Uh, and, and I started like I was a sweeper and manager and teacher and principal, everything of my school in the beginning. Uh, because I, I, I started from a meager uh, resource. Even I sold my wife's jewelry. Mm -hmm. She offered it that you can sell it to start the school. And with that money, I started the school. Uh, and, but it was such an enjoyable thing that every morning when I used to go from classroom to classroom, and I used to meet these young children. And when you share your ideas, you hear from them and you share your ideas. And the light you see on their faces... That is a moment for a teacher to be very happy. Yes. So I, I still miss that. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. So going back to where we, where we left off before, 2009, the Taliban shut the door. How did you keep going? Uh, Were you it, very frightened? <clears throat> yeah, it, really, it was very frightening because uh, I remember that, uh, they, as I mentioned, that they bombed more than 400 schools. And in 2009, they became so, so, so violent that every morning we used to see dead bodies in the square. And there was a square called a green square, and it became a, a, a bloody square. Who so, were they killing? Uh, they were killing like um, people who op opposed them, uh, people who were criticizing them. So <clears throat> uh, I spent uh, some weeks... Uh, at that time with a friend of mine, uh, the reason was that uh, my family could not sleep at night time. They were thinking that they may come after me at any time, at any point. Because you were still educating girls? No, because I was speaking against them. Right. Uh, no, that was the reason that I was speaking against them. I was standing for girls' education and I, 
the first thing I did, I wrote to Taliban in a local newspaper that what you are doing is wrong. It is not Islam. Please mm-hmm. don't do this. Mm-hmm. And people, then I got a huge feedback of it. And many people told me that it was a complete silence and you have thrown a stone in the standing water. So it began from there. And then I spoke to every conference, to seminar. We did rallies uh, for education. So my family was very traumatized. And that's why I didn't want to be killed in front of my kids. Because I mm. thought that they may kill me. And when you are killed and you die, you are gone. Okay? Yeah, I mean, great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's done then. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the worst thing that you feel in your life is that, oh, I'll die. But what will Khushal Athal, Malala, Torpeke, who was my wife, what they will be living like. Mm-hmm. So f- just to save them from their trauma after my life, I used to s- go to a friend's house at night time and then coming in the morning. So those were very difficult times, to be honest, very difficult times. Was Malala still but, going to school? Uh, yeah, uh, they had a deadline that after 15 January 2009. So we used that deadline to the maximum. So uh, when they banned girls' education, later on they said that, okay, only girls un- until up till uh, year four can go. Uh, then these girls who were in year five, they used to hide their books. And they were pre- pretending that they are not in year five or six. They are in year four. Okay. So some hidden high schools like secret schools, you can say, uh, at, at, at some point. Uh, but yes, I kept it open to the last minute. Um, and it was so difficult, as you say, that were you frightened? Yes, of course. But I must say uh, that uh, it was scary to speak against Taliban. Mm-hmm. It was scary to raise your voice in that violent time of terrorism. But I must say that it was scarier not to raise your voice. Because when you think of your life that, okay, for my lifelong, I will be in this subjugation of few bad guys and I won't have any right to get education. My my daughter won't be able to go to school. My wife won't be able to go to the marketplace. And every, my whole, my whole life, even my clothes will be controlled. The way I wear my clothes will be controlled by a few bad guys. Then you say it's better to die than to live, to be honest. And it gives you a courage. Yes. Because we are human beings and we are not just breathing. Uh, we, we believe in human dignity. And human dignity comes with all our basic freedom and basic rights. Thank you so much, Malala, for being here. It means so much for uh, every Mexican and Latin American woman and girl to see you, to listen to you. You're, you're an amazing example for everyone around the world, and you know it. So I truly appreciate that you are here with us today for the Hay Festival. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lydia, and to Hayes Festival for inviting me. I am so excited to be here speaking to you all. I wish I was there in person. You know, I have been to Mexico and Brazil, and I loved my time there. Uh, I just love the culture, the the people there, their their passion for uh, change. It's just so beautiful being there, and, and I hope we can visit Mexico and other countries in Latin America once things, you know, get better after COVID.
I'm sure. I'm sure you will. And we will. We will um, wait for you then. So uh, let me ask you. Begin asking questions because everybody is so excited about it. Um, a young girl told me once that if she eventually was lucky enough to meet you, she would only hug you and thank you for all you do. I asked her why. And she said, because everyone seems to be taking strength from her. And I just want to give her some back. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what simple things do you do to stay healthy, sleep well, to smile, to be playful? Do you take vacations from being a Nobel laureate? Well, uh, I really appreciate the thoughts of that girl. And I wish I can hug her uh, one day. For me, uh, taking time off from work uh, means spending time with my family, with my friends, reading books. And uh, sometimes there is no sleep, even when I'm spending time with my friends. Uh, I have a few friends here and we slept at like 5 a.m. last night. So, you know, there's, there's not much rest and there's not much sleep, but uh, I really value spending time with, uh, with my close friends. There's so much that we learn from each other. And uh, so, yes, I am, I am enjoying my time a bit right now. And uh, now that I have finished university, I am catching up with all my friends. We are meeting in different places. We went to Lake District. It's a beautiful place in the north of England. And we are going to London and other cities uh, to enjoy a bit of time. So it's important to spend time with friends and stay in touch with them. So now that you finish university, tell us what, what <clears throat> the most... Um, important lessons that you learn and that you experience at university? Uh, in university, I was living uh, on my own for three years. And it was the first time for me that I was living without my parents. I had to take care of everything uh, for myself from, you know, my food and my laundry and, uh, you know, my setting my, my bedroom and everything that parents do for us that we don't even realize, we just take them for granted. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of work. And it is so hard to manage it along with your studies and socializing and meeting people and doing your ass um, assignments. It was a lot of work, but still I did not cope with the laundry as much. I would still bring everything to home and I would be like, you know, my home was only an hour away. So that I did not learn, but the rest I was, you know, it was a sense of empowerment. It was a sense of independence that I was developing. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, there were some stressful moments as well. You know, when you are uh, short of time to finish your assignments, you're staying up really late to do your work that you missed because you wanted to hang out with friends. So I lived a very normal student life that every student deserves to have. And um, it was it was amazing. I was uh, studying in this beautiful University of Oxford and I studied philosophy, politics and economics. Uh, and I was uh, I was in I was in great company. Wonderful. So um, aside from laundry, that you anyway, <laughs> somebody else can do it. Always can do it. Uh, what books did you read to feel inspired and to give you strength to continue your work for girls' education around the world? Uh, so I, I love, you know, reading books. And uh, when I was in Pakistan, I had only read eight or nine books. 
till age 15 and i was really proud of myself that i had uh, that i had accomplished this 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 big number of reading extra books outside my school curriculum because students do not have book access to extra books in their uh, in their schools and they're only lim limited to their school textbooks uh, in in many places in many countries uh, and i was able to read the alchemist and a uh, brief history of time by stephen uh, hawking and i was just so proud of myself and i um, but I realized like, you know, the world is just beyond, uh, beyond your room, beyond your bedroom, beyond your street. And there are, there are many millions and billions of people living out there with different history, different experiences, different cultures. And you learn so much from their writings. Uh, so I enjoy reading, um, you know, uh, real life stories. I enjoy reading nonfiction. Um, and I and I have read books books about the history, books about philosophy. There's one book called Sophie's World. It tells you about the history of philosophy. Um, again, you know, Paulo Coelho's Alchemist is my all-time favorite. Um, Prisoners of, Ge of Geography, uh, Animal Farm, um, so many books. I don't think I can remember each and uh, each and every uh, book's names. What Money Can't Buy. That's a great book. Um, I'm going to finish because the list would go on. <laughs> Well, no, it's interesting because a lot of uh, young women ask me, um, constantly ask me, if you if you met Malala, what do you think she, she would be reading right now? And and these are the questions that usually happen in the Hay Festival because it's a literary festival. So it's, it's just uh, great that you are talking about all these different authors. And uh, yes. so we all know that from the side of being an educational activist that you are, uh, you were also attacked by extremists for exercising your freedom. And that kind of violence is very familiar to many Latin American girls and boys, gunshots, criminals, dictators, corrupted politicians, religious extremists, and machismo that have taken away the rights of millions of young people to feel free and powerful. And... Uh, what message do you, do you have for, for the girls in Latin America um, and young women in, all over um, the world to feel, uh, when they feel unsafe or, mm. or are facing violence in their daily lives? What I have learned from uh, my life is that when there is a threat, when there, is, when there are people with guns who use force and violence, trying to stop people from speaking out, trying trying to take peace away from people's life, um, their goal is to keep you in that situation forever. In order to fight them back is to raise your voice, is to, uh, is to ensure that you do your part. And for me, you know, in Swat Valley, when girls' education was banned, when more than 400 schools were destroyed, for me, my responsibility and my duty was to speak out for my right to education, to say that this is completely wrong. It is against our culture. It is against uh, Islam. It is against human rights that girls' education is taken away and that every girl deserves a chance to be in school, to learn and to have her own future. Uh, so it's important that we speak out because if no one speaks, change does not occur. And I believe that in order for change to occur, somebody has to do something. So my message to all young uh, Latin American and Latinos is that is that they should believe uh, in themselves, they should raise their voice. Uh, and sometimes we are just one individual and we do not know that if our voice can have an impact or not. But when we join hands and all these, you know, one, this, all these voices come together, they echo around the world and, uh, and, and, it, and it does have an impact. You may not see it straight away, but it, you know, in the long run, you do see that your voice is bringing change in your community. So do speak out uh, and, um, 
keep on learning continue learning learning empowers you knowledge empowers you continue reading um and that's how you can defeat ignorance that's how you can defeat uh, extremism uh, so knowledge and and education are crucial in that well we we all know that you began really early in your life but uh, along those lines um what uh, at what age did you recognize your own voice like you you knew you were malala this is my voice uh it was i was 11 years old when uh, things started changing in swat valley it is you know a valley in the north of pakistan we were living a very peaceful life before um, not all girls had access to equal rights and not all girls were going to school but at least there was no extremism and no terrorism uh, but then uh, around 2007 till 2009 this extremist group called the taliban they entered swat valley and uh, they started implementing and imposing their strict so called islamic rules that do not exist in islam but they banned women from going to markets they banned girls education and they announced that on the 15th of january 2009 no girl is allowed to go to school and i still remember waking up that morning and i was i was helpless and i was hopeless i was like they, my right to education and my right to learning is taken away from me this not only means that i would not be able to read and write but i would also not be able to have my own future many girls who do not go to school get married at early ages they become mothers and grandmothers but they never get the opportunity and chance to be themselves and to know who they are and what their role is in society women are half of the population and they are held back that is the world does not go ahead if we if we push these half of uh, half of the population back it's really important for the betterment of society for the betterment of community that we empower women and that's when i realized that i we need to speak out and i started blogging uh, i started giving interviews i started volunteering for documentaries i spoke to the local tv channels the national tv channels the international tv channels you know it was it was just small steps right you are speaking in front of one camera and you think for a second is this going to do any good is this going to make any change and then with time you realize that people are listening to you and people around the world are supporting you and the government is taking notice and people are starting started talking about the issue and we see that with climate change and other issues as well young girls and and young people are coming out they're speaking about the, the those issues each and every day the first time you speak you get ignored the second time you speak you may get ignored again but if you continue speaking out there's a point when people start talking about the issues that you highlight so do not give up and that's something that i learned from my activism is that you should not give up uh because you know and that is my my biggest fear always that i will not not fail even if people ignore me i will not fail i should not give up but if i myself lose hope that is the time when i actually fail when my mission fails so you yourself at least should be committed to your mission oh thank you thank you so much for that um so your inner girl this is your inner girl version of how to become an activist and that's so amazing because that's what a lot of young women and girl ask us all the time in mexico it's like uh how do you know that you have to be respected when everybody around you tells you that a young girl's voice um uh, is not important so you are an amazing example of how to become um an activist since you are 11 years old thank you for that that's incredible it's um, really important because i because i hear it from a lot of young people uh about uh, courage and and you know what it requires to speak out 
And I always say that when you speak the truth, you should not be afraid of anything. Do not worry about how people in the audience will react. Do not worry about how you sound, whether you have dressed well or, or not. Uh, you know, be proud of your culture. Be proud of who you are. Uh, what is important is your message. What is important is, is your story. And what is important is the truth that you are highlighting. So focus on that. There's nothing else to be worried about. And, and, and with time, you realize that, you know, the, the issues that you are highlighting are so, so important, not just for you, but for your community and for humanity. Oh, um, I was I was reading about your name and it just struck me that in Spanish, Malala would mean martyrium, uh, which means grief stricken. Yes. But it goes to demonstrate that a name does not mark destiny forever. But uh, we know that you were named for the famous female passion poet and warrior from Afghanistan. And it seems to me your inner child, again, is still alive. You know, always, every time I see you, uh, I think about that. It just, just, you just bring that uh, with you. It's just like your powerful 11-year-old girl that is not willing to give up. And uh, so every time you speak, you, you, you share that with us. Uh, what would you tell Mexican girls um, that right now with the pandemic, with everything that is going on, with the, all the change of schools that they cannot share with their um, friends, um, mm -hmm. what would you, would you tell them about the future? Um, how do you... I, I have this sense that a lot of girls, uh, even, even adults, are not um, allowed by society to recognize depression or fear. Yeah. Um, yes. And you are a person that brings hope to everyone you talk to. So what would you tell these girls right now with the pandemic and the depression and the fear for the future and lack of hope? I think uh, when I see young people worried about the future, I agree with them. We should be worried. We, we, uh, the way that our elders and our adults have left the world to us and are leaving the world to us, it is concerning. Uh, you know, when we look at um, carbon emissions, when we look at uh, the use of non-renewable energy resources, when we look at how there is lack of investment in our health and our education system, we have to be worried because this will be impacting us. This is already impacting us. This will be impacting our future generations. And there is so much burden on our shoulders. But what I do know is that you do not have to grow older to bring change. You can bring change now. And I want young people to believe in their voices now. I want them to believe in their actions now. And I want to tell all young girls in Mexico and in Latin America and all around the world that believe in yourself, believe in your voice, believe in your actions, speak out, go and protest, go and speak out about climate change, go and speak out about your rights, about Uh, about uh, about access to education and about access to equal opportunities and uh, go and, and, and bring awareness in your community, speak to your elders, speak to your friends. And it's when the conversation starts, it has a, you know, it, 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 the impact grows exponentially and it has that dominoes effect. It goes on and on. So, uh, so your acts are important. And when, when you join hands together, when you come together, It, it, it even has a bigger impact. So unity is also important. I am with you. I stand with you and I support you. Uh, and I'm here with you in your fight for a more peaceful, equal um, world, uh, that, a world that does not have 
violence against people that does not have discrimination against people based on their gender based on their color and ethnicity uh, so we can we can make this come true we can uh, we can change the conversation we can change the debates we can change the topics and we can we can definitely change the world but it starts from you believing in yourself okay so Right now, what are your plans uh, in the immediate future? Now that you are that, that you finish university, what are you planning? Well, a lot of other university graduates, especially in the time of pandemic, I am confused. I do not know what to do next. I am kind of stuck at home. Uh, my initial plan was to travel. I wanted to visit the visit the projects that Manala Fund is doing and engage more in our work. I wanted to see more countries and meet more people. But unfortunately, uh, because of travel restrictions, uh, I cannot do that. So I don't know what else to do. Right now, I'm just reading books. I'm spending time with friends and family. And I'm exploring opportunities for future, uh, looking at admissions for further studies and, uh, I don't know, some job opportunities. But I would love to visit Mexico. And I, you know, I, I love meeting people there. And I would also I love to visit other countries in Latin America. When you close your eyes and you see as many of us, like the pandemic is gone and things are changing um, 10 years from now that um, a lot of the work that you've done and a lot of young families have done around the world has uh, impacted the world. How do you see your life in 10 years, in the long run? What would you like to do? Yes. Aside from what you do, of course. Or so in the sustainable development goals where, you know, countries around the world made this commitment to uh, education, gender equality and reducing poverty, uh, you know, one commitment is to ensure that all children have both primary and secondary education by 2030. And, you know, that's in 10 years, I want my dream is to see every child in school in my lifetime. And if that's in 10 years, you know, the sooner, the better. I want to see that. So, you know, that I can then just relax, watch something on Netflix, watch TV, enjoy time with friends, and that we we live in a world where all children have access to safe and quality and free education. Uh, that's, that's my dream. I hope the world is uh, not racist. I hope this world is not sexist. I hope this world treats everyone equally. I hope you are not judged by your skin color, your ethnicity, your gender, and I hope uh, you are treated as an individual and uh, that we live in a world which is inclusive, in which diversity is celebrated. Um, and uh, so, so that's my hope and dream. And I hope you all live in peace. I hope there are no wars and conflicts. Um, even though it sounds really simple, but unfortunately, we do not live in that world yet. That world does not exist yet. Um, and I hope that, that, it, that it does come true. Thank you for listening to the Hay Festival podcast. Join us next Friday for the rollicking memoir of Jennifer Saunders, who talks about teacher training with Dawn French, bluffing her way to a BBC series, and creating Ab Fab with Joanna Lumley. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating or tell a friend about us. This podcast was presented by Poppy Evans. See you next Friday.